You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty well, Eric. I mean, uh, I had a good weekend outside of uh, the Bucks losing to the Raptors, which uh, as a fan kind of sucked because I felt like the Bucks were on a track to win that game. And you had Giannis playing incredibly and uh, you didn't win that game. <laughs> didn't win that game um so but other than that i had a good weekend um no complaints uh finally made it back to austin after roughly three weeks with family and friends in both uh milwaukee and uh houston so back home um and uh yeah spent spent tons and tons of time without having to travel for work with my daughter which is always amazing so uh you know in the grand scheme of the universe, basketball maybe could have had a better weekend, uh, but uh, life was was still pretty damn good. All right, so where I want to go here, Frank, is uh, and typically I don't do this. Um, typically, uh, I let us kind of talk through things before we we start to podcast. But you said something so interesting that I would like to start there. Uh, so the Bucks lose 123-116 to the Toronto Raptors uh, on Saturday night. And we're now recording Sunday night about 10 p.m. And Frank says to me, do you feel like Bucks fans are kind of feeling themselves a little bit too much? And I, I didn't I, I didn't say too much. Exactly I just said meant by it, but feeling themselves. Yeah. But but you you did say that you know like it feels like Bucks fans feel as though the Bucks would beat the Raptors in a seven game series and feel pretty confident about that. And my question to you was, do you not feel the same way? And it doesn't sound to me like you do feel the same way. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and it's more um, it's kind of more like self reflective. I don't even know how much it has to do with the Bucks so much as. Like part of me feels like I'm just n- still not ready for the Bucks to be as good as they are, if that makes sense. Like I, I'm still having a hard time, kind of like almost processing how good the Bucks have been and are, and like how that, like how I can kind of balance my kind of just deep seated fear of the Bucks always disappointing me against sort of the more like rational. <laughs> well, the Bucks, you know. They no longer have, as as we record this, they no longer have the best record in the NBA because the uh, Raptors also beat the Pacers tonight. So they've moved like percentage points ahead in the standings, even though they do have one more loss than the Bucs. Um, but, you know, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, right, the Bucs are right there uh, at the t- top, not just the East, but the league uh, in terms of record. And their point differential is the best in the league. And it's basically been that way since the jump, basically. Um, and Giannis is obviously Giannis and you know, uh, I know James Harden maybe is, is uh, giving him now a, a more serious threat for the MVP uh, for whatever it's worth, you know, a few months into the season. But um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's still I, I have to like really kind of, I guess, think and really question my own sort of like um, gut. And, and am I letting that kind of color my the way I view this team specifically? Because in some respect, you know, like, does it matter to that? How much does it matter that the Bucks haven't won a series in 18 years? Well, like Giannis is the longest tenured buck and he's only been around since 2013. And yes, he has also obviously not won a playoff series, but he's only, you know, been at this a few years. So 
Okay. You know, it's not like Giannis has an 18, 18 year drought. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of like, it's kind of one of those things. Like how do you kind of parse your own baggage as a fan and your own sort of kind of fear as a fan that you, you know, your team as good as they are now, like could still sort of let you down um, versus just trying to look at them as objectively as possible. And I don't know, it's, it's kind of a challenging thing. And I think part of it too, is just, you know, you're looking at the East more generally and it's not just like, Oh, the bucks versus the Raptors. I mean, you know, those are the two teams that have been sort of battling it at the top of the standings all, all year. But um, really, I mean, there are five teams at this point and I still would be surprised if the Pacers would come out of the East, but I mean, credit to the Pacers. They've been really, really good, especially defensively, and they have not gone away, even with Oladipo being hurt at times. Um, so there are at least four teams that like really would not surprise me if, you know, between now and the end of the year, if they figured things out and were ultimately the team to come out of the East. Obviously, the Bucks and Raptors have been the best teams so far. Um, but even Philly and Boston, like I, I, I can't rule those teams out. I can't act like, oh yeah, Bucks got this. You know, I, I don't know. I'm I'm still I'm still battling my inner demons as a longtime Bucks fan, but uh, what what do you think? Do, am I am I just is that just like hopeless pessimism, or uh, is that something that that's founded in in I guess reason? Um, uh, I mean, I think it's a tough question to answer. I mean, I think in some ways it is hopeless pessimism. Uh, like uh, I do think there there is some of that, but you know, like I said at the end of the of last week on Twitter, like. I mean, I get it as a Wisconsin sports fan. Like, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to buy in, and especially as a Bucks fan, you, you don't want to buy in. And I said it in our mailbag as well. Like, there, there's a, a level of futility with this organization that I, I think should kind of keep people um, protective of themselves in some ways. Like, you don't want to fully commit and say this team is great, but I mean, uh, and again, like, j- take out. Raptors take out Bucks. Um, if I tell you on a given night that a team scored, their starter scored 118 points, their bench scored five, and you lost by seven points, do you feel terrible about that? Like, I feel like you got to be thinking, okay, that's that seems pretty unrealistic. Like, they the starter shot 60%. And again, like, I do think there is some. Uh, I guess in in some ways the Bucks do kind of allow this to happen to themselves in the way that they play, in the way that you know they match up against pick and pop bigs. Like they they kind of allow some of this to happen. But you know, I think if if you're thinking across you know full series of games, like I don't think you're you're thinking a team starters shoot sixty percent for a seven game series. So I do think there there is some of some of what happened that makes me say like. Okay, like I don't, I don't know. They should be all that fearful. Like you still put up a one fifteen offense, or let's see, a one thirteen point seven offensive rating uh, against them. Like you, you were just fine offensively, defensively. You didn't execute well enough, and like uh, I mean, uh, to me, it just wasn't like uh, it wasn't a sky is falling type of performance. Whereas like, oh, the Bucks are screwed if they see the Raptors in the playoffs because I feel like that would ignore the the last time that they met the Raptors when, and again, you can kind of always, if you want to poke holes in anything, you can do so. So you can say, okay, well, Kyle Lowry didn't score in that last game. That, that would not be, uh, you know, that would progress to the means like that would move up and that would make it a little bit better. But I don't know, like to me, there's, uh, I think there's reason to think that, the Raptors could beat the Bucks in a seven game series. And I think there's plenty of reason to think that the Bucks could beat the Raptors in a seven game series. And um, I think for me that, I mean, that, that feels somewhat hopeful to say, like considering the, the recent future uh, or excuse me, the recent past of the Milwaukee Bucks and even the longer past of the Milwaukee Bucks that, if you want to say that the Bucks aren't the best team in the East and you want to crown the Raptors as the best team in the East, the Bucks could beat the best team in the East. Like, it, that feels like significant progress because I don't know if I ever felt that when LeBron James was was in the conference. Uh, actually, I know I didn't feel that <laughs> when LeBron James was in the conference. I, I didn't think the Bucks ever had a chance to beat LeBron, uh, no matter what team he was on. So uh, I don't know. I, I do. I do think that there's part of me that you know, as I watch, uh, 
Bucks Twitter in some ways, like you said, start to feel themselves a little bit and start to say that, hey, this team is good. <laughs> They're really good. And, you know, when, when you see them lose, like you can typically kind of see the reasons that they lose. And those those things are uh, in many ways, or I guess the the reasons why they lost, like you can be like, okay, well, this team shot well, or, or this happened, or this happened. And it's not like the answer isn't always like it used to be. That team's just better than the Bucks. Like, I, I don't know if that answer really exists anymore. So uh, I don't know. I, I To try to figure out whether that's hopeful, hopeless, pessimistic, optimistic, I don't really know where that is, but um i don't know like i I don't i don't know if i i have any problems with you know bucks twitter feeling themselves for the first time in (laughs) 25 years i don't know um since the existence of twitter To be clear, I'm, I'm not saying this because the Bucks lost a game. Okay, like that's that's not that, like I'm. I was not like coming into Saturday thinking the Bucks are going to win a championship, and then oh, they lost a game. No, now oh no, we can't match up with the Raptors. Um, it's more just in general. Like I, I still feel like like my my mindset is still somewhat of you know. Um, and let me take a quick look at the standings. You know, you're you're still it's still really tightly packed, especially in those first few, few slots. Now, you know, the, the Pacers and the Raptors playing on Saturday on Sunday night was a little interesting because I don't even know, I, I guess you root for the Pacers in that game just because, you know, Raptors feel like a more legitimate challenge to the Bucks in terms of, you know, long-term standings. Um, but, you know, the Bucks nominally are, are, you know, two, two games up in the last column on the Pacers, three on the Sixers, four on the Celtics. And when you're obviously playing as well as the Bucks have been, a few wins or a few losses is actually a pretty big difference, right? Cause you don't expect to lose that often. Um, so I think, I mean, I'm, I'm still, my mindset is still a little bit like I'd say pragmatic in the sense that it's essential to be a top three seed. I think because you really want to avoid the four or five, because I think there's just a massive, you know, unless something crazy happens, there's going to be a huge difference from like the five to the six, seven, eight seeds. Um, and I think especially for this team, you know, just just winning that first, getting a, a very winnable first round series. You know, right now, for instance, the six, seven, eight seeds are the Heat, Nets, and Hornets, followed by the Pistons, Magic, even Wizards, still somehow lurking um, in in the hunt for for a playoff spot. Um, you know, other than the Heat, obviously, where the Bucks have had some challenges, but I mean, again, like for the love of God, hopefully the Bucks can you know start to slay those demons uh, in short order, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think for me, a lot of it would be allayed by winning, just getting over that first round hump. Um, and I think there's something there's some there's some of that that is, I think, legitimate because you know you look at kind of the core of this team, you know, Chris Middleton, um, certainly Eric Bledsoe as a starter, right? He hadn't started a playoff game until last year with the Bucks. Obviously, he did not look good against the Celtics. Um, but you kind of go on down the line. I mean, you know, you don't have guys who have one playoff series. I guess Brooke Lopez actually beat the Raptors Does that matter? In series. Um, well, I mean, I think you can find examples of guys who've like kind of really like leapfrogged, you know, like the Warriors kind of seemed like they arrived and then they were just like arrived. Um, thunder. Thunder. Yeah. And, but then I don't know, like it's, it's, uh, it's hard. I mean, there's no, you know, it's not like it happens every year, right. That, that a team, just goes from never having won a playoff series to going to the finals, right? Like it's still more of the unless they have transcendent talents? Question mark. Yeah, well, you had that transcendent talent the last two years too, right? I mean, Giannis was not maybe as good as he was this year, but you know. And the chorus was, from the back says, "But they were coached by Jason yeah, Kidd." No, that's fair. Um, and I think you know a lot of it. What it probably comes down to is I'm still, I'm still a little bit nervous about the fact that. And the Raptors are an interesting comparison point, right? Because the Raptors don't have like a second superstar, right? I mean, Kyle Lowry has been an all-star, uh, certainly not from what we've seen against the Bucks this year. Uh, and he's aging, right? But he's been good. He's still, I'd say, all-star caliber. Um, the Celtics are kind of weird, right? Because they have depth, um, all-star-ish talent. Um, but it's an interesting situation because I, I still worry a bit that in the playoffs, I, I really like 
it's kind of funny because they like national media types might be like, oh, Giannis's jumper in the playoffs, oh, you know. And that's how I'm I'm really not worried about that. I mean, we've seen Giannis be great in the playoffs the last two years. I think he rises to the occasion. I'm really not worried about that. Um, I am a little curious to see, you know, I think as I, as I kind of peer forward, um, you know, and I think certainly the Raptors an interesting lens through which to, to look at, you know, Brooke Lopez, right? Like, I mean, I was thinking about it the other day, you know, we were talking about like Bledsoe versus Middleton as the Bucks' second best player, or at least the second most valuable player to date. I'm not sure I would say Eric Bledsoe is the second best player on the Bucks, but he's been at least I'd say better than Middleton thus far this season. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you could, you could, in terms of just like value to the team, you could you could also make the case that Brooke Lopez has been as valuable as as anybody not named Giannis, just because of the complete uniqueness of what he does in terms of combining that floor stretching ability on offense with his defensive impact, which um, has been you know uh, the the one big thing other than Mike Budenholzer that has really you know changed at least from uh, a, you know man management personnel type type perspective um but it's it's kind of interesting because I, I think especially when you watch like you know like bucks raptors it's always interesting to sort of see how these you know how the the, the supporting cast kind of stacks up and obviously the game on saturday Giannis was incredible um and then the supporting cast though you know bledsoe and brogdon started really well and then man they just really kind of got walled off in the paint. It just seemed like their lives got really difficult starting maybe midway through that second quarter. And Lopez, you know, it, easy to forget how good he was in that game in Toronto where he was just hitting threes all over the place. This time around, really didn't have much of an impact. And you didn't feel like, um, especially with Jonas Valanciunas, like not even an option. You knew, you just knew the Raptors were going to be going relatively small all night. Um, you know, you kind of it kind of raised that specter of like, hmm, what happens with Brooke Lopez in the playoffs, which I think is going to be a really interesting kind of thing to watch. And it's probably going to be really matchup dependent. So, um, so yeah, I think it's just an interesting thing. Like, you know, as Middleton has sort of waxed and waned, obviously he had been playing much better um, and then was pretty and he played good against, against the Raptors. What's that? I thought he played good against the Raptors. Well, but I think your perspective is like, well, he can't be that good because of Kawhi's guarding him. Right. That's you seem Isn't to get that him, like, the perspective you should have. Well, I know. But like, I mean, the assumption is that he's not going to be that good against Kawhi. Right. Is that is that your assumption? Like if you get like 15 points out of him, you should be happy. That's it's not a it's not a Chris Middleton specific opinion. Like if Kawhi's on you, you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to play that all that well. So, I mean, the challenge, though, is that like basically the guy that, you know, nominally might be you know considered the Bucks second best player is going to be more or less neutralized against the Raptors. Right. I mean, that's a problem. Wouldn't you say? I guess it's okay to say yes. Like, uh, <laughs> but uh, but I mean, like, I, again, I don't feel fourteen and nine is generalized. Like, that's a good game. Like, I don't know why fourteen and nine is a bad game. Well, I mean, they couldn't. They also obviously that neither Chris nor anybody else could really stop Kawhi, right? And the whistle was maybe not great. Uh, you know, Chris has foul trouble, eventually fouls out. Um, it was a tough night. Chris has been, I'd say very good defensively for the, for the last while this game, it was tougher. You know, you think he was better in, in the Toronto game, uh, in the game in Toronto. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was just a, it was, I mean, it was a weird game for a lot of reasons. I mean, I mean, the Raptors bench went one out of 15. But, like, but uh, no, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to leave that yet. Like, why is it like, shouldn't it be like, Hey, Eric Bledsoe, you had a backup point guard on you. It's your night. Like you should. Yeah, be the he guy. was disappointed. Or hey, Malcolm Brogdon. Like you should be the guy. Like I, the the thing that always bothers me is that when Chris gets covered by Kawhi Leonard, and again, like I said, I think everyone is going to have a worse night when Kawhi Leonard's guarding them, and I think that's pretty much fact. I don't. Maybe I'm crazy, um, but like everyone's going to play a little bit worse, and I feel like fourteen and nine against Kawhi Leonard, like totally fine. Like that's that's a totally fine night. Is it a great night? No, but that's totally fine. Like someone else has to step up, and for some reason, in, in these situations, it's always well. Chris Middleton didn't step up. Chris Middleton was a human flamethrower in the playoffs last year. Like why why is the finger him and not the guy that was terrible in the playoffs last year? Like what? Uh, that's the you think thing. you think Eric Bledsoe is, has gotten a pass for his playoff performance. I mean, I think this year there's been a lot more talk about how good he's been. Every time I've brought up that he's not being as aggressive as he needs to be, you've been quick to defend him and tell me how good he's been. So, I mean, I think there is some of that, yes. Well, his, yeah, but we're talking about this year. I mean, this year he's been really good, right? So if we're talking about last year, 
all summer long, people gave Bledsoe shit for being the worst player in the, in the first round of the playoffs for the Bucks, and now he probably cost them the series. Brogdon coming off the injury was even worse, actually, but you know, coming off an injury, it was probably more understandable. But he was terrible. Um, I mean, I don't think Bledsoe is like gotten some kind of pass. I think it's more just like, well, this year he's been getting, I think, credit apportioned reasonably, and I think the number numbers back it up um, for how well he's played. And obviously, with Middleton, part of it's too because he started really well, and then he basically kind of was bad for a month or whatever. So, you know, people kind of soured on him. Hopefully that turns around now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think Saturday, Saturday, he was bad. Saturday, he was bad for sure. I mean, well, let me say this. Bledsoe, Bledsoe was disappointing after the first like 18 minutes of the game. He started off really well. And then I just like the Raptors, a, a lot of the chances deserve a lot of credit because they kind of took Brogdon and Bledsoe's driving lanes away and the Bucks really you know, other than just Giannis going <laughs> nuclear, uh, just didn't really seem to have much of an answer for it. Yeah. And, and I, I guess to me, it's just like we record a podcast after after every game. Like we can just talk about that game specifically. Like there doesn't have to be like a larger narrative around it. And like, yeah, Chris Middleton is slumped. And December was maybe the worst month of his professional career. Like that's totally fine. But the last four games, he's been good again. And like, I don't know why I would need to like frame that in like a larger thing in regards to that game. Like he was covered by Kawhi Leonard. I think that most people struggle a little bit more against him. So it was like, it was just weird to me that that night, like all of the talk was about like, oh, Bucks need a better number two. And it's like, well, the guy played pretty damn good. And also their number one was f- awesome. He was incredible because Kawhi doesn't cover him. He covers your other wing guy and Giannis is able to, I mean, Giannis is able to get loose on anyone like Giannis will be able to get loose on Kawhi. But like, if you're going to put the number one best defender in the league, like, is that how people view Kawhi Leonard on your team's number two? Like, why would I expect the number two to outperform his typical level? Like that, that's where I get confused on it. Yeah. But I mean, by the same token, it's like, I mean, again, it's like, it's not like all of Chris Middleton's, opportunity should be just like him going one-on-one with Kawhi Leonard either right I mean again like as a shooter you would hope the Bucks could also like make give Smith enough open looks that you know Kawhi Leonard it's not just a one-on-one game with him and Kawhi but yeah I mean obviously he's it's going to be harder for him right and I think part of the thing is too because with Bledsoe as well you know the last two games Bledsoe versus Lowry Lowry has been just awful right so I think part of it as well as this like lingering sense of like oh crap like Kawhi is just going to smother Chris in every game, and there's going to be a problem in the playoffs. Whereas Bledsoe was like, well, you know, I mean, as good as Lowry is, he, for whatever reasons, you know, injuries otherwise, he was really bad against Bledsoe in the first two games. So I don't think you're as like, ready to jump on Bledsoe, you know, when you kind of view it through the match at lens of like, well, the Raptors versus Bucks. Here's this game on Saturday. There's also the context of the previous two games. Um, so, uh, you know, again, it's like all this stuff kind of bleeds, bleeds over from, from one game to the next a little bit. Yeah, and, and and I mean again, like I think the overwhelming thought to me is just like I didn't think the Bucks played terrible. Like I thought defensively they weren't nearly as good as they needed to be, and um, you know just gave up too many easy shots. But uh, I thought what stood out to me after the game was like kind of just when I asked Giannis about it, like, hey, you, you know, you mentioned giving up easy shots, but certainly felt like going into the game that was kind of your game plan that you were going to give Siakam looks you were going to give uh you know Ibaka looks like how do you try to balance the idea that you're trying to control and limit these other guys but then also uh you know that's going to give open shots like how do you balance that out once they start to hit shots and he's like well you know you got to execute the game plan and to me like that's the larger I think existential concern is that you know the Bucks play defense a certain way and Maybe it changes some in the playoffs, but you know, I think largely going into every Bucks game at this point, Serge Ibaka knows that he's going to shoot a shit ton. <laughs> and he's just going to get a bunch of shots, and you know, if they go in, the the Raptors are going to have a good chance of winning. Like that's going to make things easier. And you know, with the emergence of Siakam, like if he hits threes, like it's going to be really tough for the bucks. Um, so to me that that's always like the, I think the larger existential concern when you look at some of these other teams in the East, because obviously, as you mentioned, like there's still a lot of talent from these teams. Yeah, it was interesting. Cause I mean, 
Um, I think Ibaka was at like four out of 11 from three in the first game the Bucks played, I want to say. And I don't know how many shot in the second game, but um, he only took three three-pointers uh, on on Saturday, which was kind of interesting. It seemed like where Lopez was was being, I don't know if the right word is exploited, but there were a number of plays where they, they actually went right at Lopez, um, like Leonard did a few times, and they got fouls drawn, and Lopez was getting frustrated. I think what, Brooke picked up a T at one point, I think, as well. Um, and it was kind of interesting because it really wasn't exactly the same kind of game plan or, or issues that the Bucks have had previously. I mean, Van Vliet was the real problem from, you know, you mentioned him out playing Bledsoe. He had five out of eight threes. Um, you know, we haven't been used to seeing kind of just like the point guard other than like Kemba and open on opening night necessarily be the one that like really kind of stood out with three point shooting. Um, so it was interesting because it wasn't like, you know, sort of like pick and pop big men and Siakam's threes were more just like kind of like indifference and ball swing. And, you know, Giannis is, would you think it's fair to say that like Giannis gives, Giannis will give up more open threes to his man because of just the fact that he's often guarding a guy who's not, you know, like in the, in kind of the, the kind of main actions, like, yeah, if if you're defended by Giannis, like you're probably going to get a lot of open threes. When whether you're a good three point shooter or not, you know, will depend a little bit. Um, and Siakam's obviously a guy that teams have, you know, the Bucks are not the only team that has been fairly willing to, you know, give him open looks from three. But um, I, I mean, Giannis was, I mean, that that was the primary matchup between, you know, for for Siakam. Giannis was his primary defender, and you know, he got a you know three out of five threes. Um, ironically, both Siakam and Giannis hitting three out of five threes was kind of funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a little bit different than, you know, the Bucks giving up threes to centers because Lopez sits in the paint and doesn't want to challenge them. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a concern per se, cause, um, you know, you could certainly, I mean, I think, I think at one point when they went into a commercial in the second half, they mentioned, um, Budenholzer kind of getting at Giannis about his a defensive read or something like that at one point. Um, and I'm not sure if it was related to a Siakam three or something like that, but, um, but I thought that was interesting because, you know, as much as Giannis obviously was incredible offensively, I mean, quote unquote, his guy. Um, and again, not that Siakam scored all his points on Giannis, but you know, Yakum Siakam doubled his, his season scoring average as well, going, you know, 15 point per game guy getting 30. So, um, you know, again, I, and I, I hesitate to suggest that oh, Giannis should shut down Siakam because that's, kind of not how the game is necessarily played, especially for Giannis and Siakam. But, um, but that obviously was, was a problem that, you know, these kind of secondary guys, Siakam in particular, but, you know, also Abaka, um, those guys obviously got loose and obviously Van Vliet got a lot of good looks at threes that we're not used to seeing point guards get against the Bucks. Yeah. You know, that, that's kind of, I mean, those are the things that you circle, like that uh, you had, those three, Van Vliet, Siakam, and Ibaka, all go for 21 plus. Um, I would, even if you use Kyle Lowry's average on the season of 14 a game, like Van Vliet outdid that. Uh, and obviously, Siakam almost doubled up his point total, total on the season. I think, I think Ibaka, uh, let's see, Ibaka had averages 16 a game. So that's like plus nine. Like you just had a bunch of guys really kind of outplay what they normally do. And a number of them did so extremely efficiently. And that's, that's a problem. And yeah, I thought there was, there was a lot of uh, that one that was the loudest I've ever heard Pfizer forum. And I, I wasn't sure that a new building could get quite that loud. Um, you know, I think there is something to be said for like old crummy buildings that are just like concrete boxes that, hold in all of the noise. Um, so, you know, there was a little bit of concern for me that Pfizer form could get that loud, but it can get that loud. Um, so that's good to know. Um, but, you know, like I just thought there was, you know, sometimes when you, when you watch this boxing, I think w- when they get real excited, they do some of the, the old habits that they used to have where they're like overhelping and they're trying to do too much, like on the backside of stuff. And, you know, I thought a number of times you saw Giannis just like trying to do too much, whether that was trying to block a shot, trying to intimidate a, a drive, wh- whatever it may be. Like, I just felt like there was just like so much excitement that uh, he was really trying to do a lot from the backside. And, you know, with a guy like Siakam, they don't, they don't really bring him close to the hoop, hoop at all. Like Nick Nurse has 
very good offensive principles. So they're going to like spread you out and uh, you're going to have to cover the corners. And, you know, I thought Siakam kind of made that difficult on Giannis, but yeah, like there just is whether or not it's quote unquote Giannis's job to shut anyone down. The defense has as a whole, as a unit has to do better, uh, shutting guys down like, uh, 11 for 15 night for 30 points from, from Siakam. Like that's, it's not going to do it. Like that, that's just not, that's not good enough. Um, and it, I mean, I think you could say the same for Ibaka and for Van Vliet. Certainly like it was, uh, th- that to me was one of the, the weirder things that, you know, I just didn't, I didn't think the bucks played well defensively. And obviously that shows up when you give up a, a 120 defensive rating at the end of the night. Um, but it, that, that to me is the biggest thing. And, you know, I think obviously part of the reason why Giannis in particular, but a number of the players felt that they played so bad was that they were bad defensively. And if you're bad defensively under Mike Boonholzer, I'm sure you're going to hear about it throughout the game and, and at the end of the night. And uh, yeah, I just, I didn't, I didn't think they were good enough defensively. And I mean, really when you look at, their games against the Raptors thus far this year. Like, I think that's probably, um, I think that's probably the first time that you say it. And granted the first time Giannis and Kawhi were out, but you know, that first win in Toronto was one Oh five 99. Like you kept the Raptors under hundred points. Uh, I thought you did a good job at home. Uh, so it, this was, this was a deviation and, uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of does this, happen again uh, when you get the Raptors at the end of the month in in Toronto because this is uh, you know as I was going into and leading up to the game I kept asking about the tiebreaker and how big that could be uh, for the Bucks and uh, Mike Boonholzer told me it meant nothing which is a lie um, and the players told me it was huge which is the truth um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can get that one uh, when they go to Toronto at the end of the month yeah I think what was especially um you know, probably what made it especially frustrating was and I tweeted out on Friday, the Bucks, you know, especially the, it's fascinating. The Bucks have the best differential in the league because their starters coming into the game on Friday were basically a break even unit, which is shocking to say because a, they had played, I think eight times as many minutes as the next most used lineup. So they've had pretty much, I mean, they've had a couple injuries where they've had slightly different lineups to start games here and there. But for the most part, the Bucks start their five best players, you know, at each position, right? It's not like they're, you know, like we talked about coming into the year, like, oh, did you, you know, do you role player starter at shooting guard like Tony Snell and bring Brogdon off the bench? No, they start all their best players. Um, the guys they finish games with are pretty much the guys who start games. Um, and those, those lineups, not surprisingly, that plays way more than any other lineup. And they haven't been good. Like, I mean, they were good early in the year, but they were like plus 0.7 points per 100, like basically a break even lineup. Yeah. And so I was like, Jesus, right? Like how the, you know, like what the hell? Um, And then when I was kind of looking at it, I mean, it's basically a first quarter phenomenon. Like they're like, they were like a minus 12 or something like that points per 100 team in the first quarter with their starters. And then in this, they, they, I think they had not played a single minute with the starting five in the second quarter, which is an interesting kind of footnote on like just lineups and how rotations work that the buck starters like essentially don't ever kind of get back together and play together in second quarters. Like it's always different variants of lineups at that point. Um, but in third quarters, they were, they've been pretty good. I think like, I don't know if it was like plus six or seven or something like that. And in the fourth quarters, they've been like great, like they've been, they've been like plus 30 or something like that in, in lower minute numbers. I think it was like mm-hmm. 170 or something like that minutes in the first quarter, 130 or something like that in the third quarter and like 40 to 50 in the fourth quarter. Um, so it's interesting though, cause it's like, it's kind of brings up the whole idea like that we talked about earlier in the year about like, well, do you, should you even be starting Brogdon? And, you know, Brogdon has continued to play overall very well, I think. So like, again, it's not meant to like pick on Brogdon as like somehow like, oh, he's the guy who's not, you know, performing because He's performing at a high level, but for some reason, the starters have had slow starts. But that wasn't the problem on f- Friday or Saturday. Friday, Friday, they have a monster, and we have. We're, we're probably not going to talk much at all about the Hawks game because it was pretty much over before it started, almost. But, um, but they just blew the doors off the Hawks to start. There was no slow start problem on Friday. Uh, so I'll, I'll clearly my, my tweet of those stats, uh, you know, motivated, I guess. <laughs> um, but even then Saturday, I mean, they started well, 
uh, the Raptors yep. and kind of came back a little bit. But then, you know, pretty late in the second quarter, they were up 57-47, I think. And then... And then Ursan happened. <laughs> well, oh, what 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 did I say? Whoops, I, I didn't mean to say that. So. Well, and, and that's the frustrating... Well, the frustrating thing is, like, you look at the plus minuses. I mean, it's, it's basically, I mean, the... The Raptors starters were just way better than the than the Bucks starters in terms of like you know what happened on the court. I mean, Brockton, to his credit, was a plus seven, and again, lots of noise in in single game plus minuses for players. But you know, just in terms of telling the story of you know where was the game won or lost, um, you know, Giannis was the next best starter to minus eight, and then Bledsoe, Lopez, Middleton all minus fifteen to minus eighteen, uh, whereas the Raptors were all starters were all plus sixteen to plus twenty one. So I mean good things happened when they were on the court and then the bench was just a complete disaster for them. Ananobi, Powell, Monroe, and Delon Wright. Um, Ananobi was the only sub who made a shot, uh, 14 misses outside of that from everybody else. Um, but you know, to their credit, they obviously are, they're missing Jonas Valanciunas right now. They're missing Kyle. They were missing Kyle Lowry yesterday. Um, and they just, pretty much didn't play those guys at all. You know, the starters played 35 yeah. to 40 minutes, uh, all of them. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was frustrating because it felt like the starters kind of just, you know, they started well, Hey, they started well. Okay. This is a great sign. <laughs> and then, you know, third and fourth quarters where you expected them to like come back and do their thing. Um, you know, they had a really nice run to start the fourth quarter. Giannis is hitting threes. It feels like the momentum has shifted. Um, and then down then the Danny Green hits a yeah. shot clock ender, and then George Hill tries a touchdown pass that yeah. gets picked off by Kawhi. Just deflating immediately, and uh, and it, then it just felt like in the last few minutes, like you know, the Raptors just made every three, every like contested yep. jump shot, and the Bucks didn't, and so that was that. But um, but yeah, you you were going to mention Urson. I mean, I think you know we've mentioned how kind of exciting slash scary it is that dj wilson has emerged as this like key rotation guy in in the front court um and he plays nine minutes they're they're plus eight on cue uh in dj wilson's minutes despite him not scoring a point uh and then he gets what was i think at the time termed a hit pointer i think he said leaving the game that it didn't he didn't think it was serious um but he doesn't come back and that means um Ursula Sova, who came back on Friday and I guess you know played well against the Hawks and whatever vestige of an NBA team that is. Um, he comes in and one out of five shooting, 13 minutes, only a minus one. So we need to be fair. It's not like the game was, you know, completely turned on its head during his time on the court, but it felt like, especially because I think he was overlapping with some of those bench units, it just felt like he was always the weak link on the court. And, you know, we've seen in the past, he can't do anything with Siakam. Um, he's got no hope defending Siakam. And meanwhile, Thon Maker, who, you know, we've been kind of joking about, you know, being the guy that has gained Mike Boonholzer's trust. He, you know, seemingly was the guy who... I was not joking about it. Let, let's make that clear. Um, but he not joked about it. He draw. I know you, you, you're very offended by every Thon Maker joke <laughs> I make. So, um, but he apparently drew the short straw, you know, cause a lot of these kind of random or not random, but you know, like the bench guys every week or two seem to just sit out a game, you know, just cause to get another guy in there. And, um, Thon Maker playing against the Raptors, his favorite team to play against, against a team that has a lot of athletes. He doesn't play at all. And Ursan Sova certainly looked like a guy who, probably wasn't ready to play um, and especially not against that team. And yep. I think if you're going to second guess any of the Bucks rotations, I think that was the obvious one coming out of the game. Yeah. And you know, I, I think we, we talked about this uh, on, uh, I can't remember if it was Thursday or Friday. I can't remember which part of the mailbag it went in, but you know, someone had asked us like, you know, what do you think is going to happen when you take a look at the minutes and you try to figure out uh, who's going to go where and like, uh, you know, Ursan comes back, is he just going to get his minutes back? And both you and I were just like, yeah, probably, because Bud likes him and Bud trusts him and, you know, they they have history and, you know, Bud's just going to give him those minutes. And we mentioned how that's that's very different from kind of everything that we've seen from Bud up to this point, that so often this year, everyone's earned their minutes. That, you know, if you want some more minutes, it, fingers crossed that someone is playing bad enough or gets hurt or whatever it is to get yourself in the rotation. And we saw both Thon and DJ take advantage of that. And 
while Ersan was out, they took advantage and got themselves back into, or in DJ's case, into the rotation and Thon kind of back into the rotation um, from last season and doing some of that. But with Ersan, it was just like, oh, Ersan's back. He gets his minutes back. And uh, I mean, I don't want to say there's uh, some sort of rift here in the locker room, but like it is notable that it's very different from how everyone else was kind of looked at, like you, how they needed to to earn their run back in the rotation. And, you know, I think there is something to be said for, you know, kind of what Ursan looked like uh, before his concussion and after his concussion. I didn't think he was playing as well after his concussion. And then on top of that, you add a broken nose. Uh, now he's in a mask. And again, he's played in a mask before, so that's not a problem. But, you know, there's been a lot of times where he's just given those opportunities. And I, I mean, I think you're at a point where Thon and DJ have played well enough that you have to question whether or not he deserves those opportunities. And I understand he's got a bigger contract and he was specifically brought in to kind of bring some good things out of out of the Bucks lineups, but he hasn't played particularly well in the last month or two. Like that, that just hasn't been good for him. And uh, obviously you mentioned his minus one and, you know, he gets that because he was a part of the, the unit that goes on a run late at the end of the first quarter. But then he's also a part of the unit that, I mean, everyone post game circled as the turning point of the game, which was that end of the second quarter unit that, totally lost it. I think they were minus eight. Uh, let's see. While Ursan was in 249, the final 249 of the first half, they were minus eight in that time. So uh, you see their their lead dwindled to one in that time. And that was just kind of part of what kind of sucked the soul out of the building. And it just felt like Ursan didn't have a spot in this game. And Thon certainly could have. Um, we, didn't, we didn't get to kind of see that or, or have a even a look at it but uh, I do think <laughs> the the deviation to just give verse on his minutes like that I think it's notable yeah and I, I would say this I, I think night to night in the regular season um you know assuming Ursan is you know gets back to semi-normal Ursan type type play which again I mean he's old enough that I mean, I, I don't know what, what the reasonable expectation is. I mean, again, he, he did obviously have a couple of injuries, the concussion and the broken nose that, um, you know, are, are can be difficult to come back from and just immediately pick up where you left off from, right? I mean, especially a concussion. Um, but, uh, you know, looking at some of the lineups that we've talked about, I mean, the the Ursan Giannis big lineups have actually generally been pretty successful at the end of the first half. It was not. That was Giannis with Ursan. Um, that was in the game when the Raptors kind of narrowed the game and basically got it back to even at halftime. It was basically Giannis, Chris, Malcolm, Ursan, and then George Hill and Tony Snell kind of split the last position uh, in that span. Um, so it wasn't like the Bucks like put in a bunch of like role players or something like that. Like it was mostly starters, um, but then you know Ursan in in place of of Lopez, and um, you know again Lopez didn't didn't do much either so it's not like we we can say like oh if, if lopez was in then everything would have been different but um but yeah I, I think they really missed kind of dj wilson's sort of mobility and activity level um especially you know with the likes of of abaca and siakam and the way that they can get up and down the court and move and you know the fact that you have to defend them in space and especially siakam i mean he can obviously put the ball on the floor and um you know i've, I've called him kind of hobo Giannis for, for a reason. I think we saw it in that a number of times in the way that he was able to attack and, and finish. And, um, and he, you know, caused the bucks, obviously tons of problems, 30 points on, on 15 shots. So we'll be interesting to see, um, you know, kind of how this shakes out. I mean, I, I'm curious how many minutes Ursan would have played if, if DJ doesn't get hurt. Um, you know, you look at the, the big rotation. I mean, Lopez played 24 minutes, so he didn't play a ton. Giannis played 40, which we haven't said, in quite some time. Um, and then DJ played nine before he gets hurt. Ursan 13, uh, Hill 28, Sterling Brown 14, Snell 13. And, you know, unfortunately this was kind of like the Snell, like, you know, the Milford man, Tony Snell game that we've like referred to when we were discussing the mailbag, like yeah. he didn't take a shot. He played 13 minutes, took no shots <laughs> minus seven. Um, that just happens with Tony Snell. Um, and it's not because I don't think he wanted to shoot, but yep. 
he just kind of is over in that corner. And if his guy kind of stays near him, he's probably not going to really get shots. <laughs> like it's not really, even though he has sort of often shown more of a penchant this year for kind of attacking the rim a little bit and looking for shots and making some plays. Maybe we don't think he normally makes, but um, yeah, it was a, obviously not a, not a big game from him. I think we do want to call out, um, you know, George Hill and Sterling Brown. I mean, both score 11 points uh, efficiently. Sterling hits three out of six threes. Um, Hills plus 10 in 28 minutes. Sterling plus four in 14 minutes. Um, you know, Sterling had a, a couple possessions where he tried to guard Kawhi. And I think he's actually, I think one of me fouled him, but I, I think he's actually one of the more interesting, other than Chris, um, he's maybe kind of my, I guess probably my, the, the guy who's best suited to, to guarding Kawhi. Is that, is that fair on the box? No, I'd agree. I thought they were going to go to Sterling on uh, Kawhi once Middleton yeah, picked up four fouls. They decided to go to Brogdon instead, which I just don't think Brogdon's big enough. Like Kawhi likes shooting contested jumpers way too much to put someone that much shorter on him. Um, so yeah, I think Sterling's really interesting. Obviously, he has to watch the fouls because he he tends to get very handsy when he has uh, great players in front of him. Um, but yeah, I think Sterling is interesting there on on Kawhi. So I mean, the, credit to those two guys. And I mean, really, you look at the box score. I mean, Giannis was obviously. I mean, the numbers kind of speak for themselves. But um, and we should probably talk a little bit about Giannis because this is, would be kind of a classic scenario where we ignore the fact that Giannis just dropped 43 and 18 uh, and talk about all the, everything else. Um, but, you know, really the, there were only three guys who I think really played up to their typical standard. Um, and that was Giannis Hill and, and Brown. And I think everybody, I mean, I guess you could say DJ, but you know, obviously he didn't play much with the injury, but um, you know, I think that's mm. partly why it was so disappointing. I mean, you had pretty much all the Raptors starters, playing kind of above their at or above their typical standard and with the box i mean you know you only had three guys total and and you know obviously sterling playing 14 minutes can only make so much of an impact so i thought that was probably and the bucks lost by seven and it was close the whole time yeah and and they had a chance obviously in that fourth quarter even taking the lead at one point um you know you you had your chances and you just obviously ultimately could not get enough guys to kind of rise to the occasion and um you know i mean look like Giannis being thinking they played poorly. I mean, you know, when the Bucks lose in the playoffs, does Giannis ever think the other team is better? No. <laughs> yeah, no. Giannis always thinks no. his team's better. Giannis always thinks they should win, right? If if the Bucks lose, Giannis yeah. is going to say because they didn't play well enough. Um, and at, the nice thing is, at this point, most nights, uh, like you know, I mean, that's yeah. generally true at this point. Like the He's, Bucks are yeah. right there with pretty much anybody right in terms of how well they've been playing this year so it's it's kind of hard to fault them at this point maybe the last couple of years in the playoffs um it was maybe a little ambitious uh, acting like the bucks you know should have won those series i think you can make certainly good arguments um in both cases coaching obviously a big part of the issue there but uh, but that's you know Giannis's competitiveness and um you know i was excited to see him at least play the way he did um you know i i mentioned in the last month he shot about 31% from three um, as compared to 11% in the first month and a half of the season. So not a hot streak by any stretch, but obviously him not just making some threes, but I mean, they were high leverage fourth quarter threes. Um, I mean, he scores eight, I was it 18 points in the fourth quarter on Saturday. Um, that was MVP level shit, you know? Uh, and, he was incredible, especially with, you know, Harden kind of getting on his run. Um, by the way, it's been a very good uh, couple months for for a month for my household, uh, <laughs> being that it's split between Rockets and Bucks loyalty. It's it's nice to have uh, each of our teams have, a, a you know, one of the top two MVP candidates. But um, with Harden kind of putting his stamp on the last you know couple of weeks and, you know, with with some of the individual games, especially the, that Warriors win the other night, um, you know, obviously you would have loved to see Giannis win this game. Um, putting up these monster numbers and, you know, going into the week, it's, it's always more fun if you've got a reason to have sort of the, well, Giannis had his statement MVP game on Saturday. Right. And instead, obviously uh, it's mm-hmm. going to get muted uh, somewhat by, by the fact that the Bucks lost, but, um, but I thought it was, it was obviously great to see. We've been waiting for him to start to look more comfortable shooting the three ball. And look, I, I, I you know, again, I, I don't, I don't know that he's going to, you know, shoot 40% for a month. And that's going to be kind of what I, 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 it may be too late for him to get to, you know, where he was a year ago, right around 31% for the season. 
Um, but hey, if from here on out he can shoot 30 to 35% every month, I'm fine with that, <laughs> you know? Um, and and it, it was, I mean, it's funny. Did you see Joel Embiid's quote about um, about shooting jump shots? And, and uh, I think it was in reference to Simmons taking jump shots. Um, and he said something to the effect of like, you know, that he doesn't even like to shoot threes. He, he said something to the fact that like he, he's, you know, he's only shooting 30% from three and he's even said publicly that he doesn't like shooting threes, but he shoots them because he knows that guys are going to challenge it. If he, if he does it, and then he's going to be able to mm-hmm. pump fake. And, and, you know, we've talked about that. Like Giannis makes one three and then all of a sudden he's got a pump fake that guy's going to jump at, or sometimes even if he doesn't make it, um, yeah. you know, that's just the way kind of guys are wired now. So, uh, obviously him being a threat, um, is, uh, is potentially another kind of big, big thing, um, that, that could even take his game to, to another level. So, um, so anyway, so that was, that was positive. I don't know any, any other Giannis related, um, praise we want to, we want to dish out. I mean, I, there were definitely, this, yeah. this was, I mean, to, to do this against the Raptors, I mean, Ibaka had that great block when he was kind of sandwiched between him and Siakam. Um, you know, there were a couple of plays even where he got a layup on Siakam where like Siakam was like right there. I mean, to be doing what he did on this team specifically, I mean, that's, that's saying something. I mean, they have, they have bodies they can throw at him between Ibaka, Siakam, Leonard, Ananobi. Um, you know, this is, this is not doing it against, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers when he had the 44 a few weeks ago. Right. I mean, this is a, this is this is big league stuff to do it against this this type of defense with those type of defenders. Yeah, I mean that that was kind of what I was just about to get to is like fine if if tonight or I should say if if that game against the Raptors is the night that you wanna you wanna think about man is is number two or number three or number four or number five or or whatever in the rotation good enough like that's fine, but if you needed any reassurance that number one was good enough uh he gave it to you because he just flat out dominated that game (laughs) and uh you know the these are guys that one have either defended him well in the past or can make it tough on him just because of you know their skills and their talents and it just didn't fucking matter (laughs) <laughs> it, it, it didn't matter and you know there was a, and again i i i really hate this as a reporter because um i know what's gonna happen every time i do like the the away team is somehow gonna find my tweet and then start quote tweeting it and, and talking about how i'm a homer um but like you know Giannis doesn't get a good whistle and he didn't get a good whistle against the raptors um and even through that, like he didn't get discouraged. He didn't stop attacking. Uh, he didn't do any of those things. He just went out and started going through guys. Uh, and obviously at some point the Bucks are going to have to figure out what their strategic game plan is because they do need to find a way for the guy that spends the most time in the paint to get more free throws than he does. Um, but I just thought it was, it was so impressive to see him just not care who they put on him, who was in his way uh, to put up all those numbers. And then, you know, this is the second time in a week where, uh, again, this was this was something after the Nets game that no one wanted to talk about uh, because, oh, that was just, it was just the Nets or, or whatever when Giannis kind of goes crazy in the fourth quarter and finishes the game and, you know, f- just closes out the game. And uh, after that game, I pointed to that jump shot where, with all the confidence in the world, Giannis plants his left foot, steps into it and buries a three that shut down a Nets run that got it to single digits. And the biggest shot of the night for the Bucks was a three from Giannis that made it 96, 95. And he stepped into it with all the confidence in the world and had his little pull-up game going. And he was able to strut a little bit after. And obviously the Bucks screwed it up immediately uh, on the next possession. Uh, but, you know, in that moment, like that's that's a level of fearlessness there there was no thought like oh crap i'm i'm not a great three point shooter should i take this what what should i do it was no i'm the man like i'm going to step into this and i'm going to knock it down and you know i i don't know if that's a thing people call clutch i always struggle to figure out what people define as clutch or whatever i don't know if that's uh, be just being a superstar. I don't know if that's uh, bravado, if it's confidence, whatever you want to call it. Like Giannis has that thing that 
whenever you need something, he's going to do it. And, you know, I, I just thought we saw it in that game. And uh, it's, it's like you said, it's a shame that that'll get, be, that'll be forgotten because, well, the Bucks didn't win the game and, you know, they had other guys not play up to the level that they needed. And, you know, like there's, there's a lot of other stuff there, but yeah, if I, I'm trying to think of a team that might be able to match up with Giannis better, obviously I think like the heat come to mind because they just always give him problems. And, um, you know, the Pacers gave him problems that one night, but as far as teams go that are near the top of the East, that might really make it tough on Giannis. I, I struggle to think of one that could do it much better than the Raptors. And <laughs> Giannis just dominated, just, just straight up dominated them. Like, like they were nothing like, like they were uh, whatever wing defender uh, Giannis has posterized or uh, just brutalized in the past that that's what he did to the Raptors. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see um, what they do the next time against the Pacers, because they obviously really, shut him down the last time these the teams played in Indiana, um, just gang tackling them, you know, just throwing just basically yep. tons of bodies uh, at him. And, and Thad Young is, I'd say, maybe an underrated defender, but, it, you know, I mean, it's really not about Thad Young being able to individually stop Giannis. It's about them not giving up transition opportunities and then, um, you know, basically them just kind of saying, all right, we're just going to gum up the paint and throw bodies and, dare you guys to, to beat us. And um, I thought it was interesting too. I mean, just think, to talking about getting back, I mean, Bucks, you know, we, no secret, right. The, one of the first things that Mike Boonholzer said um, this summer was wanting to make transition defense, the starting point of defense. And, you know, you look at fast break points, Bucks 18, that's good. Raptors 22, mm, not good. <laughs> so um, another area yeah. where the Bucks, you know, obviously kind of shot themselves in the foot and and you know giving up the you know early early buckets they had one in the fourth quarter that was terrible danny green got a layup right like they had missed a they missed a yeah bledsoe missed that wing three uh and then it got they everyone went for offense rebounds and then all of a sudden danny green was wide open for a layup or a dunk and it was just like yeah in the fourth quarter really like yeah that i happened? think siakam had like a breakaway dunk too i don't remember this i've got a steal or something yeah, yeah. it was it was not great. I mean, the Bucks fourteen turnovers, or sorry, sixteen team turnovers, couple, um, couple twenty four second ones. I think. By the way, that the the one that I thought maybe summed up Bledsoe's sort of crappy second through fourth quarters the most was that possession where he has the ball and the clock is running down, and it's like, yo, you got to take a shot, Bledsoe, <laughs> and he dilly dallies and like mm-hmm. hesitates, and then shoots it clearly after the buzzer makes it but it was clearly late um that just kind of felt like the the raptors did a really nice job when when he he or brogdon drove you know especially in the second half it just felt like there were too many bodies and they were having to make like acrobatic kickouts to to try to basically cope with it and um it just felt like they were, they just didn't, it just felt like neither Bloodstone nor Brogdon like knew how they were going to be able to like where, where their spots were um, in the second half of that game. And um, obviously Bloodstone not a, you know, not a great three point shooter period, two out of six. I think both of them came in the first quarter um, Bloodstone or Brogdon one out of four. Um, I mean, eight assists for Bloodstone, five for Brogdon. So, you know, they, they still were obviously making some plays in that regard, but um, you know, again, as much as they their numbers were not were not bad, right? Fourteen and eight assists for Bledsoe on nine shots, fifteen and five assists, a couple blocks, plus seven on eleven shots for Brogdon. Um, it, it just felt like man, they were on pace to have much better games, um, and it just felt like too much of that came uh, early mm-hmm. on. And and you know, you just look at it's kind of interesting to look at the the box score because. You know, the second quarter, the Raptors win plus six, but it felt like a lot more just because the Bucks had a big lead. And then by halftime, it was basically gone. And then the third quarter, 35-25, that felt like it was probably the most the most accurate one. Um, and then fourth quarter, um, Bucks, Bucks yeah. won the fourth quarter 34-32, but they had dug themselves enough of a hole. And, you know, they obviously came back and even led at one point, but um, they needed to do more than just, you know, win by two in that fourth. So... Yeah, it was tough. What? Let me ask you one other thing. Um, I think I, I know on Twitter there was a lot of discussion around the the Bucks whistle um, for the game. Raptors called for twenty two fouls. Bucks called for twenty fouls. 
Uh, Raptors 25 to 31 from the line. Bucks 22 out of 27. Um, Giannis six turnovers. I think the last one was where he got raked um, and the ball went out of bounds. And you know, I think I know that was one that kind of really jumped out at people. But I think there were a bunch of other ones where it was more um, you know calls on Lopez, kind of calls on contested jump shots. Did you have a, I don't know, did you have like a, I think you alluded to it, but like, did you feel like that made a, was a big factor in the game, the the whistle? I mean, we've talked obviously about Giannis not getting really, really uh, a, a good whistle, right? He doesn't get necessarily the benefit of the doubt, but broadly speaking, what were your thoughts on, on the refereeing tonight? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think of that game and like Kawhi is a really physical player. Like there, there's no doubt about that. Um, but his physicality doesn't often lead to dunks or layups. Like it leads to yeah. like a step back 12 footer or, or something of that nature. And I think if you watch that game, you can kind of imagine the way that he plays. And it's like that dude shoots 15 free throws and Giannis shoots 11. And again, like I'm not trying to debate whether or not Kawhi got fouled on a number of those. Like, yeah, I think the, the Bucks probably overextended their hands and, and hit him and, and let him get to line. And that wasn't good. But I mean, you, you just kind of think through the way that Giannis plays. And like, I thought when the game got started with Giannis backing down Siakam, getting that and one layup, it was like, okay, that is a foul. 100% a foul. And often when Giannis gets around the rim, you don't see it called. So I, I thought, okay, this is going to be a, a tightly officiated game. And I thought it quickly devolved into a really physical game uh, where they they were letting kind of everyone play, um, which is okay. But then often it felt like as Giannis went to the basket, they were letting the Raptors play. But as Kawhi made those same drives, like he would use his off arm as he often does because he's so big and strong and Bucks defenders would try to combat that, and all of a sudden it was a foul on them. Like it, it was, I just didn't think it was a very consistent whistle. And again, like Giannis, I, it's going to be tough for me to find a game this season where I thought Giannis shot enough free throws. Like he, he's Shaq that dribbles into his dunks. Like that dude should shoot free throws all the time. He gets hit all the time. And oddly enough, the most egregious whistle or non-whistle, I should say wasn't even his. It was Middleton's at the start of the fourth quarter when they went on that little mini run. Middleton uh, hit that floater that I don't one. I don't even know how it went in, uh, but I think he got hit by three guys and hit the deck. And it was just like nothing. Like there wasn't there wasn't anything there. And Middleton's a guy that typically gets a whistle because he doesn't attack in that way. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if there's anything outside of Giannis gets a bad whistle to that game. I just thought, um, you know, when you juxtapose it with Leonard and the whistle that he gets, it was just like, Hmm, that, that doesn't quite add up. And especially on a night where Giannis takes 25 shots and, um, you know, that I think we all know what Giannis is, uh, uh, heat map typically looks like for him to take 25 shots. That means he was attacking a lot. And uh, just for him to get 11 free throws, like uh, I, I don't think that's, that's, that's good. Um, I, I can't imagine that was a well-officiated game. Just watching Giannis for as long as I have. All right. We've talked about a loss for a long time. Any other thoughts? We've got Utah bucks starting coming, uh, coming up on Monday, uh, last game of the homestand before they head out to Houston on Wednesday uh, you really want to win this game. Uh, well, you want to win every game. Um, but you know, if you lose this game and obviously Utah has been kind of disappointing this year, but if you don't take care of business in this game, it's kind of scary. Cause not only does that mean that you've lost consecutive games for the first time all year, but, um, definitely piles on pressure even further on, on Wednesday going into Houston where obviously, uh, while the Rockets lost the other night, obviously the Rockets have been on a bit of a roll, even with Chris Paul hurt, and, uh, you, you don't want to be carrying a two game losing streak going into, uh, into Houston. So, um, I think an interesting game. I'm, I'm very curious to see how, um, you know, Rudy Gobert against splash mountain looks, um, because this is the kind of game I think where Brooke Lopez being <laughs> yeah. a floor spacer who can stay on the court against big guys is, really valuable um well i mean it's normal it's normally valuable but in this game it it could potentially be even more so just because of where rudy gobert wants to be playing defense so um 
I'm, I'm really curious to see just how all that plays out, but uh, obviously, you know, uh, the jazz have, have talent. Uh, they don't have necessarily that, that kind of top end superstar type player, especially with Donovan Mitchell struggles the second season. But um, I don't know anything else you're kind of looking forward to in, in that game. Just wait. So you would say Donovan Mitchell is not a top 10 player over Giannis. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ryan Hollins is not ESPN for a reason, but you know, I don't know. Maybe he, he might have got that wrong. <laughs> Sorry, had to. It was just it's just sitting there for me. Um, no, I mean, I think this will be an interesting test. Uh, Bucks haven't lost two games straight this year. Can they keep that going? And then, uh, you know, you mentioned the the MVP narrative and all of those things. Well, if you bounce back from a loss against the Raptors and and beat Utah convincingly and have a nice game in that. And then, well, you go to Houston and you out-duel James Harden. Seems like an MVP type of uh, game, a, a, a one, one that you could stamp that on. So um, I think it, it'll be a really interesting week. And we will talk about all of that here on Lockdown Bucks. And uh, we'll start with recapping the game against Utah tomorrow night. Uh, so we'll have that for your podcast for you on Tuesday. So for Frank, men, I'm Eric name. This has been lockdown bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.